On the afternoon of November 29, 1970, a man and his two young daughters were hiking in the foothills of the Estalen Valley near Bergen, Norway. They stumble across the charred remains of an unidentified woman. Nearly half a century later, her identity remains one of the most profound Cold War mysteries in Norwegian history. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Isdal Woman. basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. No new Patreons on the patron front, but... However, by the time you hear this, our lovely patrons, you should be receiving a weird package in the mail filled with various items. We based it upon your tiers, so the higher the tier, the more shit you got. The two $20 tiers, I think, we hooked them up pretty good, but we just wanted to say that we appreciate you. And hopefully you enjoyed your items. If there was anything wrong with them or something you didn't care for, please contact Arlo and he'll be more than happy to send you cash. <laughs> Actually, uh, feel free to re-gift those items at your ugly Christmas exchange. Dude, <laughs> my, now, wife, my wife and I spent a good amount of time yesterday. Cry me a river. Carefully. Cry me a river. <laughs> Picking out beautiful. Cry me a river. <laughs> you, okay, sorry okay. for your eardrums. Uh, we do have two shout outs, however. Somebody that edits the podcast still can't understand that volume is a factor. When It's okay. I ain't got any negative reviews on my volume, so piss off. <laughs> this guy. Anyway, Mr. Chuck Ball, we received your map, and that is awesome. Fuck yeah, that was amazing. And we put that beer money to good use because we bought some Sam Adams Cold Snap. Oh, yeah. I'm not a big winter ale type of person, but... Sam Adams doesn't make it's many pretty, things that suck. It's pretty cold. So It's it pretty is. cold outside. It's so pretty it's cold for Georgia. For, uh, and then we have an unspoken shout-out. We received a lovely package with some handwritten notes. And amazing. That was amazing. Almost made me cry. Yeah. Tugged at our heartstrings, and we really appreciate you. And we are diving into those books as we, as you hear this. We will have actually started doing some reading. I know that's amazing because Coach doesn't read, bro, but he's getting Be, the picture. Read, bro. bro read, I don't bro. speak well. You don't read well. It's okay. Everybody knows I can't talk. But still, they listen. That's why we appreciate the hell out of you. <laughs> it's because we're just two idiots from down the street. Like. <laughs> we may be those two guys outside the gas station begging for change. I could be. Here's a new game, drinking game at home. Count how many times dumbass drops his phone and I can't edit it out. <laughs> oh, that's at least a six-pack now. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to jump into it. We are going to talk about, depending on how you pronounce it, Isdal. The Isdal woman. Isdal. That's, there's no there is there's the, no question how you pronounce it. If you're from Wisconsin, they call it the Isdal woman. Isdal. They got that Isdal woman up there in Wisconsin with the cheese. God almighty. But anyway, we have a very nice and crazy, it's not a missing person case. I know, pinch yourself. Mm-hmm. But... 
This is a name given to an unidentified woman who was found in the Ice Valley, also known as the Isdalen Valley in Bergen, Norway. Bergen? November the 29th, 1970. This case kind of laid dormant for, I mean, it was on the radar of a lot of people that like mysteries and stuff, but here in the last, I would say in the last five years, it's really taken hold. There was a huge, I want to say 10-part podcast put on by the BBC, and they took a deep dive, and that might be one of our recommendations. Mrs. William, I'm going to bring me tea, <laughs> make love to me, turn so, on the telly, to the BBC, to the BBC, BBC One. BBC Two. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Okay. Glad that's over with. <laughs> so a man and his two young daughters were hiking in the foothills of the northern face of the Yulkin. That's the best I can do. In an area known as the Ice Valley or the Isdalen Valley. Also nicknamed the Death Valley due to the area's history of suicides. This is almost as significant as the suicide forest. But... Not as well known. It was the afternoon of the 29th of November. And they noted a, I guess, an unusual burning smell or burnt smell. And his two daughters. The unmistakable smell. Located the charred remains. Charred flesh. So they were distraught to say the least and quickly returned to the town of Bergen to let the Bergen police know and a full investigation commenced. So the police noted in their examination of the site that the woman was in the supine position and if you ever wonder what that is think of the Vesuvius eruption and the bodies are curled at an angle. I've heard it described as a boxer's position. She did have her arms up and they were stuck that way. But I've heard that that is typical of people being burned alive. Yes, because the moisture is taken out of the skin and it basically shrinks and pulls the body into that position. Now, they were, they actually located some effects near her body, and only one police investigator would go on record stating that he found what appeared to be the remnants of a campfire. However, he is the only person that would ever make that claim. Everyone else said they could not find a campfire or evidence of such campfire. What they did find, however, were two plastic water bottles, a plastic container of some sort, rubber boots, a scarf, some stockings, a matchbox, a watch whose time was at 10.10, two earrings, a ring, and a fur hat underneath the body. Well, what's going to be odd about the watch and the earrings and the jewelry is those are going to be found placed upon a rock close by. They're not going to be on the body itself. And it was described as it was laid out almost ceremonially. They did not find any containers that would have transported an accelerant to the scene. 
So the start of the fire and how the fire began is still up for debate. There were traces of burnt paper and a ring that some described as a ring that a passport would be on was found. Mysterious indeed. Now, all the identifying marks of all the items that were found had been rubbed off and the labels of the clothing have been removed. Three days later, investigators would find two suitcases that belonged to a woman at a Bergen railway station. Now, keep in mind, this is 1970, and they, someone would have to actually go to a physical person and check in these two bags so that they could come back and claim them. This was not a locker that you put the money in and turn the key. So they talked to the two women that ran the, I guess, baggage claim, and they described a woman that matched what police had determined the Isdal woman to look like. In the suitcases, they find 100 Deutschmark notes, clothing, shoes, wigs, makeup, what they determined was an eczema cream by Pfizer, 135 in Norwegian kroner, Belgian, British, and Swiss coins, maps, timetables, a pair of glasses that just had glass lenses. They were not prescription glasses. They were fake. A pair of sunglasses with a partial fingerprint that matched the Isdal woman. I thought the fingerprint was on the glasses, not the sunglasses. We have to get our research right. Well, I had seen both. So that's why I said it. You saw nothing. Dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) A notepad. But basically nothing identifying who the woman was. All identifying information on what was found in the suitcases had been removed or scratched off. So an autopsy was performed on the woman and it had and it was found that she had died from a combination of phenobarbital and carbon monoxide poisoning, and soot was found in her lungs, indicating that she was alive when she was set afire. Yes, they are going to... She had enough phenobarbital in her system to kill 16 people, essentially. There was like, what, some odd, like 70-something pills? Between 50 and 70 phenomol brand sleeping pills. Yeah. But most of them were undigested. But I promise you that was going to be enough to do it. Probably wasn't feeling much pain at that time. During the autopsy, they actually removed her jaw and discovered that she had very unique gold-filling dental work. And they also, I will have to give them credit at this time, the investigators took slices of her internal organs and preserved them in paraffin. And they also took pictures of her dental work. And it was determined, since they were gold fillings, that in Europe at the time, more than likely, this dental work was performed somewhere in Germany or in the surrounding area, Austria, that kind of thing. In 1970, there was no insurance to pay for your dental work. So the money had to be up front. What is interesting is people in Germany just were like, hey, yeah, let's get some gold in my 
in my teeth. And it was commonplace back then for German residents, if they needed dental work, to have gold fillings. So the police start a campaign in the media trying to get information about the Isdal woman and come to find out that she was seen checking out of room 407 at the Hotel Hordeheimen on November the 23rd. Hotel staff would tell police that she was very good looking, approximately five foot four, had dark brown hair and brown eyes. Staff did tell police that she kept mainly into, in her room and to herself, and she constantly seemed to be on guard. When she checked out, she paid her bill in cash and requested a taxi. Now, her movements are kind of up for debate. It is, depending on what you look at, rumored that she stayed in as many as 15 to 20 hotels during her stay in Norway. They found what appeared to be a coded notepad entry, and so they took it to a code breaker, and they determined that they were actually, it was not actually a code, but it was a month letter and the date followed by a letter of the town that she had stayed in. And we'll post a picture of that on our social media. Now, she would have to have a passport to check into these hotels. And it is... Boy, did she. Surmised that she had at least eight fake passports. It wasn't surmised they found them. Well, I was saying surmised that she could have had more than eight, but she used eight. They've Yeah, they found, physically found eight different passports with eight different names. Now, the birth dates on them were around the same time. It was in the year being used was 1945. The occupations that she would state on the passports would vary, and then she always gave her nationality as Belgian. She would either fill the forms out in either German or French. Now, there was either a hotel worker or taxi driver. I can't remember what his occupation was, but he would state that he, she spoke in either French or German, and I find that hard for him not to know the difference. Yeah, that would be very difficult not to know the difference. But we will get into her background later. Most likely she spoke both. I mean, you know what they say. Most Europeans know several languages. That's lazy Americans. You know what know they one. say? Well, they say if you're, you speak two languages, you're bilingual. If you speak more than, more than two languages, you're multilingual. But if you only speak one language, you're American. <laughs> <laughs> she would often tell hotel staff that she was a traveling saleswoman or an antiquities dealer. One witness said that she overheard the woman talking to a man in German at a Bergen hotel. And like Coach said, she also spoke in broken French and broken English. But what was crazy was that people would comment that she smelt of garlic, mm -hmm. which is unheard of in the 70s in Norway. How is that unheard of? They because they were, yeah, well, yeah, they had garlic, but no one traveled with maybe, garlic. Maybe she wasn't traveling. Maybe she just had dinner and had garlic. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> my bad. They didn't cook. Basically, <laughs> they didn't cook with garlic in Norway in the 70s is what my research found. Oh, yeah, okay. 
There you go, buddy. All right. So if there's any people from Norway that, that were, were alive, alive in, in the 70s, 70s, please contact us because please, that way you can say, hey, coach, us, you're a damn idiot. Please let us know how stupid Arlo is. Now, what had been <laughs> later found out was that she probably wore a perfume with the fragrance Pacioli. Patchouli. Which was patchouli. Patchouli is the same time. Patchouli. Patchouli. What, patchouli banana Clearly banana. Clearly you're not a hippie. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and it does have a earthy herbal scent and it's, it's very pungent. It's essentially what hippies use instead of bathing. <laughs> yeah, I do bathe regularly. So they I smell know. like bong water and patchouli <laughs> oil. Okay. But if you've bong ever, water. If you've ever been to... Bonnaroo, you know the smell I'm talking about. People also commented that she had different hair colors, and this would tie into the wigs that were found in her suitcases. Composite sketches were made and circulated via Interpol, and she was never identified. And the case was quickly closed because the police stopped all investigations on the murder aspect and stated that she died of suicide because of the ingestion of sleeping pills. However, she was found with approximately 20 unchewed sleeping pills in her mouth and 12 sleeping pills were found near her body, which would lead someone to surmise that they were forced into her mouth. Well, if they're going to set her on fire... That's pretty nice of them to get to try to give her some sedatives, because you give me set on fire or set on fire with seventy sleeping pills. I'm gonna take the seventy sleeping pill. If those are my only two options, yeah, I don't want to go by burning to death. Yeah, I'm totally not for burning to death. Really, don't want to be drowned either or suffocated. I just want to go to sleep. So the burial was given a traditional Catholic. Rights. I want to do the euthanasia coaster. Have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. Just Google it on your Google. Type in euthanasia coaster. It's like it's a roller coaster designed to kill you. It's pretty cool. Okay then, look it up, folks. The internment was attended by 16 me- members of the Bergen Police Force, and she was buried in a zinc coffin to both preserve her remains and, for ease of disinternment, for family members to later claim her. Her ceremony was also photographed in case relatives came forward at a later date. And basically, ladies and gentlemen, that's the facts of the case. But that's the facts, Max. The bulk of this episode will delve into the theories, and they are plentiful. Well, there are later developments. You know, there was a, the taxi driver. They took a woman to the hotel. In 1991, however, a taxi driver wishing to remain anonymous said that after picking up the unknown woman at the hotel, they were joined by another man at the station. Yes. Now, keep in mind, the Cold War was in full swing at this time. And, like we had stated, the prevalent theory was suicide. And that theory states that she took all of her belongings into the mountains and began to burn them, erasing her life. She would have taken the sleeping pills, and as she began to feel the effects, she fell into the fire. And like I stated earlier, only one officer would report seeing, quote, evidence of a fire. Well, here's the thing. is She was found, the way she was found, she was charred 
face up. The, her backside didn't have any burns on them. So if she fell into a fire, she somehow burned only the front side of herself and rolled out of it. On top of a fur hat. On, I mean, maybe, but highly unlikely. Yes. Uh, she did, like we stated before, inhale smoke. So she was technically alive before she died. But what started the fire? Traces of excellent were found on the fur hat located under her body, but nothing at the scene held an accelerant. If fuel was brought with her into the mountains, where was the container? Was there a significance to the two water bottles that were found at the scene? Does that lead credence to someone accompanying her into the mountains? And then, if you're going to take sleeping pills to commit suicide, why not do it in the comfort of a hotel room? Well, I mean, true, but maybe she didn't want to be found if that's the case. Maybe she was trying to, you know. Another theory, and this is a big one, is that she was a spy. The suitcase was filled with spy tradecraft items. Wigs, cosmetics, non-prescription eyeglasses, etc. She had multiple, multiple passports. And like we said, she would have had to have a passport to check into the many different hotels that she stayed at. Now, there was a rumor circulating that her fingers had been, quote, sanded down to erase her fingerprints, but that was false because a fingerprint was found on her glasses or sunglasses, depending on which camp you're in. <laughs> I didn't mean to start a debate. I'm just <laughs> telling you what I re researched. And they matched those to her fingerprints on the body. They also matched that to several fingerprints that they found in hotel rooms that she stayed. Now, like I said earlier... The Cold War is in full effect, and Norway was sharing a border with the then USSR, which is now Russia. In Norway, there was a secret... They, they, were, they were always Russia. Yeah. They just, you know, they never changed. In Norway, there was a secret <laughs> military project named the, quote, Penguin Missile, and it was an anti-ship missile that could be fired from either land, sea, or air, and it was tested in Bergen in March of 1970, and in... Stavanger in October of 1970, and again in September of 1970 in Stavanger. The Isdal woman was in these areas during these times, and a fisherman named Berthen Rod had reported to police that he had been on the docks repairing a fishing net when he noticed a woman acting strangely. And by strangely, he stated, she was dressed exquisitely for anyone to be near the docks. Yeah. The docks ain't known for a... Yeah, fur Fan coats. Fa fancy parties. Yeah. <laughs> he also reported that she carried on a conversation with a naval officer for approximately 15 to 20 minutes. He made this report to the Bergen authorities weeks before her body was found. In his report, it also stated that there were a number of military officials staying in the area that he noticed coming and going from nearby hotels. She was seen by hotel staff one hotel in particular speaking to an older gentleman with gray hair. And then at another hotel, she was seen having dinner with a younger man. Was the man she was speaking to one of the men she was seen with at the hotel? Was that naval officer the young man? Was the older man seen with her that staff reported shuffling through papers and not speaking to her 
looking at reports that she had filed or intelligence briefings. I'm going to say that it was an intelligence briefing. I'm going with that. Now, months later in December, the fisherman was taking a holiday trip with his family and stated that two men from the Norway Secret Police grabbed him and took him into a private location and warned him that he may be in danger. The two men gave the fisherman a knife and a gun and told him to protect himself and his family at all costs on the trip. Now, the Secret Police did not come out and even acknowledge that they knew of the Isdal woman until, I want to say, the early to mid-90s. So, did they know that she was a spy or was she in the spy world? Or did they know that someone had killed her for being a spy? They could have, and some theorize they did, tell the police to stop their investigation into a murder and rule her case a suicide. And this would account for the sudden shift by the Bergen police. There is a file that is not, I have not found it, but I'm sure someone could dive deep and find it, that the Norway secret police released that details everything that we just discussed. What the Bergen police would state is that they found that there were there was extensive damage to her lower body. body. <laughs> Specifically, her knees, thighs, and calves, and they were burnt, what they would state, previously. Oh, wow. Yeah. That might be signs of torture. So that would lead you to believe that her death by fire was not the first time that she was burned. Now, her behavior at the hotels paint a picture of a woman who was very paranoid about being followed. She would often request to swap rooms once at a hotel. She was more concerned with the location of the room instead of the layout of the room. She would always request a room with a street view or one that was near an exit. She would go as far as to place items inside and outside of her room that would lead credence to her being a spy. She would place tables and chairs in the hallway just inside the doorway on several occasions, as well as on two occasions she would place a chair at an odd position just outside the door in the main hallway of the hotel. Now, these could be used to alert her if she was sleeping that someone was either trying to enter the room or someone was outside of the room. It is also theorized that the chair outside of the room would let her quote, handler know where she was at in the hotel. A KGB spy said that he felt like she was not a spy, and he stated that the number of aliases along with the number of passports were not of that of a legitimate spy, that only legitimate spies would carry one maximum of two separate identities. He also states that she would have made a better effort to establish her backstory of being from Belgian descent by having evidence of clothing slash accessories from Belgian instead of cutting off the tags and rubbing the markings off of her travel items. Or, he theorized, that she would have purchased more local items to blend in more. He stated that Norway in the 70s was very isolated to the world and she would have stood out way too much for a spy in his opinion. Her, quote, exotic appearance, coupled with her spicy slash garlicky scent, also made her stand out. 
spies try to blend in more and not stand out is what he would have stated. He also stated that he would, I guess, give her appearance to more of a courier than a spy. And that kind of makes sense. Now, another theory stated that she could have had a German connection and that she could have been a former Nazi sympathizer. Now, they did carbon dating on her teeth and determined that she would have been a child near Nuremberg, but in her early teens as she would have migrated to the UK. It also stated that her age was closer to her mid-40s than previously thought of her early 30s. She would have been born in the late 1920s, and at that time, Nuremberg was the epicenter of Nazi propaganda. Another theory along those lines was that she could have been of Jewish descent, and this would coincide with her moving away from Nuremberg in her early teens to the UK, and would also explain her paranoid behavior. She could have been placed on the kinder transports out of Germany to Great Britain by her parents trying to save her, because at the time, as everyone knows, the Germans were trying to extinguish and round up all of the Jews, and these kinder transports were well known to take kids out of Germany to Great Britain. Could that be the case with the Isdal woman, and her parents never ultimately got out of Germany alive? Now, another odd theory is she was found, or her suitcase belongings contained two postcards. One was a picture of the Virgin Mary holding baby Jesus. The other was that of a winter scene taken by photographer Giovanni Trimbali. He was a very well-known travel photographer. While on the surface this is not odd... What is odd is the postcard of the winter scene was not released yet by Giovanni. Oh, wow. Yeah. Rumors abound on the interwebs and the Reddit threads. So authorities tracked down Mr. Giovanni Trimbali and asked him how the Isdal woman had a picture of his that had not been released yet. His explanation was that he had attended at a dinner, at a dinner, a dinner with an Asian woman from South Africa at a hotel, and he had given her the photo. An Asian woman from South Africa. Yeah. I don't that's know if a, you could get some. That's a mouthful right there. <laughs> it is. Like, oh, yeah. 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 Okay. And he had given her that photo as a gift. Was the Isdal woman the woman that he was referencing? I don't know. But supposedly, they tracked down this woman that he supposedly had dinner with. Supposedly. Uh, not. Thing. It was supposedly wasn't the Isdal woman, because supposedly that woman dead. Yeah. And the lady that he uh, had dinner with, her name was Loretta Junkin. And An Asian woman. Named Loretta. From South Africa. Named Loretta. Named Loretta. And th- when they found her, she had a very vague story about how she was a student, and she traveled six months out of the year extensively. So if Loretta's not the Isdal woman, which we know... She's not, because Loretta was alive when they found her. How did Loretta get the Isdal woman the photo, or how did the Isdal woman obtain the photo? Now, it did come out that Giovanni was rumored to be quite violent with his female counterparts. Could she have been running from her abusive boyfriend-slash-husband, Giovanni Trombali? Could be, Rabbit, could be. 
it also was determined that the Isdal woman tried to appear as though she had money and that she came from wealth. However, if you really dive into the belongings that were found around her and in her suitcases, a clearer picture comes out that she was barely scraping by. The jewelry was fake. The furs were also fake. The hotel rooms were the cheapest rooms available at the time, and just about everything in this woman's belongings give you the appearance that she was trying to be someone she wasn't. There is a Facebook group that was, or is still out there, on the Isdal woman. And one gentleman in particular wrote a article for Medium. And I cannot find his name for some reason. I want to say his name was Ben something. I don't know. Hold on. Let's see if I can find it. Dover. If he was in prison, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, we'll get to it. I will post a link to the the article. Um Oh, here it is. His name was David. No, it wasn't Ben. David Morgan. And he has come up with several, several theories. The first theory that he puts out is that she died with her boots off. And and he states that uh, rain boots were found near her body. And basically that would indicate to him that someone else either was at the scene or she didn't die at where she was discovered. Because you're not walking up there in November in Norway without any shoes on. You don't know. It could have been quite warm at that time of year in Norway. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about? November? The end of November, 1st of December. Yeah, totally. It's like, you know, it's totally warm up there. Now, like we stated earlier, and he states in his article, the extensive damage to her lower body indicated that a more prolonged fire had taken place. And he also touches on the penguin missile theory. He goes into... uh, So the penguin missile theory, they're just saying that maybe she was keeping tabs on the whole... Well, there's two theories. Either A, she was trying to see... She was a counter-spy trying to see how much the Russians knew about this penguin missile or spy for the Russians. She was a spy for the Russians reporting what she knew of the testing of those missiles because she was, it was determined that she was in, she had stayed in the towns that they tested them in, Mm -hmm. in the, in the subsequent months. There's a lot of things on his article that says that she could have been burnt in a propane explosion on a fishing vessel that was watching the testing. Hank Hill would not approve of that. No. Propane is a very safe gas, according to him. Yes. He theorizes that it could have been a cover-up of a rogue missile striking a barge or a ship that she was on. That's interesting. And then they state that this, her body being found in the way that it was found with the items placed around it and things on a rock is ceremonially contributed to a Viking burial. And I will let our listeners dive into that one because that's a pretty good one. Essentially, that's not a bad way to get buried. 
but they didn't set her they didn't set her off on a on a small ship and then set it on fire. She was set on fire on land. Yes. That doesn't correlate with a Viking funeral. Um he also puts out another theory that she was the unfortunate response of a case of mistaken identity and it's this one's a deep one and it goes into uh they actually tr- he tracked down or he found evidence of a boyfriend named John Lott and a woman that actually r- passed away in Salzburg in 2004 known as Annalise or Annalisa you know and he does a great job of tracking this Annalisa down and showing that she would have been in some of the same towns as the Isdal woman i don't know it's there was a gap in her teeth that a lot of people do not reference. And supposedly this gap in her teeth is the distinguishing difference between her and Annalise. But you would think if you were trying to make a positive confirmation of it being someone, a gap in the in their teeth is pretty a pretty good telltale sign of you got the right person or you don't have the right person. He touches on... It says, curiously, the scratched-off cosmetic labels in the suitcase to hide identity may tie the suitcase to the hotel. And I'm not even going to. I'll try it. Sofan Turist Hotel in Oda. Perfect. Where she could have worked as a receptionist in the spring of 1970. This was a very unique hotel in Norway. This also ties into the lady known as Annalise Annalise. Mindel, and she could have abandoned her suitcases to throw police off. He did a great job researching all of this. Uh, Another one is the name Fenella was used on a registration card by the Isdal woman that stands out amongst the Claudias and the Alexias, and that is a Gaelic uh, root word for Fenella or Fenella. Sounds like final. Yeah. So it makes makes her final. This is how they tie into the fisherman, and actually the lady is tied to the IRA in Ireland. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, It says, and he says, uh, imagine if the Isdal woman was an IRA intelligence officer that was moving uh, randomly hotel to hotel, never staying in one hotel for a predictable time and lying about her identity. Around 1970, the IRA were obtaining weapons, significant, or specifically guns from Norway. These guns may have been stolen from the factory in Denmark and transported through Norway. And on the 18th of November of 1970, a huge shipment of drugs from Lebanon was intercepted, and this seems to be a day when people thought the Isdel woman was leaving Norway but was persuaded to return by a man. Uh, the Isdel woman may have arranged to meet a key person on the 23rd of November to hand over cash for guns, but it turned out to be a trap, and she was killed or kidnapped, tortured, and then killed. Oof. Yeah. Don't want that to happen. Now, supposedly... Just 350 meters from where her body was found, there was an ancient gunpowder storage site. This could, what he says, tie into the burning of her lower extremities, like an incendiary bomb had exploded. 
they and he goes on to say that she could have suffered that burn and they kind of she kind of nursed herself back and then i guess was found later in the on the hillside i don't know he did he does state in the summer of 1970 there was a robbery of dynamite and then a cash robbery from a safe and a car theft or a car left with dynamite in a trunk in Lingen, put dynamite in the keyhole and put butter on top of it to reduce the noise. <laughs> I didn't know uh, butter could be used as sound dampening. The other theory that he puts forth is tied to the boots. The company Mangdel made military-grade walking boots. The U.K. Army used them exclusively... In Iraq, and even an astronaut would wear them later. The woman that we discussed earlier, Miss Annalise Meindel, claimed to her holiday lover in Norway that her husband was abusive and she was on the run from him and that she had left behind two children. She said she had first run to Ireland for a few years and then ended up in Norway. Again, connecting several, several dots. So, I mean, this, this article makes you think... There's some nefarious shit going on. Yeah, no shit. He does a great job. He goes on to state that in not in June of 1970, a famous Goglin painting, Fruits on a Table, was stolen from the widower of Matilda Marx, the Marx and Spencer heiress. Another picture, Pierre Bonnard's woman with two armchairs, was also taken. A policeman and two men appeared at her home claiming to be there to fix the burglar alarm. They asked the maid to make them a cup of tea. They then cut the two artworks from their frames, rolled them up into a container, and gave it to someone to take abroad to a buyer in Italy. And then one month after that theft, in July of 1970, the Isdal woman was in London. This was recorded in her travel log. She then traveled back to Paris via Amsterdam, then to Rome. She was then back in Norway by October of 1970. The Goglin painting turned up in the kitchen of a Fiat car worker many years later. He had bought the painting in a lost property auction in 1975. The paintings had actually remained in a Turin station lost luggage claim for five years. His theory, or his questions on that side of it, state that he says, did the Isdal woman take the paintings as a courier first to Amsterdam, then to Paris, and then on to a buyer in Rome. But did she then leave the paintings rolled up in a tube on the train? Was she simply drunk and tired, leaving them by mistake? Or did she leave them there for a handler? I'm guessing handler, man. I don't yeah. think anything that is by. I don't think anything that's going on here is mis, was by mistake. He asked the question: Was the art theft that of the Italian mafia at the time? Did the Italian mafia, tra- mafia track the Isdal woman with their own courier down to Norway where she fled realizing that she had lost the artwork? Did she try to fake it out by continuing to carry around a cardboard tube to buy her some more time? And then he states that the elder gray-haired man that she was seen talking to that was then supposedly the they were speaking German, was he a buyer? And was the younger blonde man that she was seen speaking with, was he an undercover police officer in a sting operation? Again, 
some very odd situations. And he cites that in her coded log that it was written ML23NMM. And he theorizes that that could be a meeting with a new buyer on the 23rd for him to buy the Matilda Marks paintings. So again, you know, there's some some great, great work by this man. I don't know, man. I don't want to... I don't want to think that this was all about art. Yeah. That's not as cool. He also goes on to state that H in her travelogue would correspond to hospital. And this one is a little further out there. At the crime scene, it says you find a woman with only hair at the back but none at the front, and in her woolen jumper, a collection of hair tufts. It looks like Isdal woman collected all the hair that fell out. Perhaps she did this to show to a doctor. There could be a medical reason that she had traveled to Norway. It is one of the few places in the world that had a leprosy hospital until 1946. Well, let's see. But no, this woman wasn't going to Norway for medical treatment. There's way too much stuff to indicate that she was a spy. This woman's a spy. Bottom line, she doesn't have eczema. I mean, she doesn't have leprosy. Everything in her possession was carefully altered in order to hide her identity the cream she was prescribed that was found in her luggage the labels were carefully removed uh, all the clothing labels were carefully removed she's she, i'm not gonna hear it. don't i'm nope, nope okay well he states that <laughs> this would explain an extra mirror that was found in her luggage and that the cream that you referenced would be used to cover up the skin blisters from leprosy. Again, he does his homework. Well, I still disagree. I, w- I you know, <laughs> that's your, that's your right. Yeah, this woman was a spy, bottom line. He dives a little bit deeper into the uh, Giovanni theory, and he ties in some codes that are found supposedly in her travelogue with the numbers and letters. It's, this man had a lot of time on his hands. There is another couple of theories out there with German connections. This is a good one. She was the mother and lover of a Nazi pilot's illegitimate child. Oh, nice. Uh, he goes into it, and it would have put her as a young teen when she met him. Again, there's no theory, though, that she had traveled with a child or or any of those things. Then he goes into a theory that she was a recruiter for forestry workers from the UK trying to get them to take on large timber projects in Norway. The other one would be that she was a spy and that she was trying to retire, but as a lot of the movies we watch, spies don't retire. They die. Not like Red. He's not... <laughs> getting his paychecks in the mail. But again, these theories are abound in his uh, article. He has, I want to say, 20 theories, and we just do not have time to go over all of them. But they do make you think. He has done a great job in finding photographic evidence, tying her to other people, tying some of her 
luggage, her clothing to things that uh, support his theories. But again, it's all up for conjecture. The preservation of the internal organs in paraffin and the fact that she was buried in a zinc coffin to preserve her body would lead you to hope that with discoveries in how we test DNA would eventually lead to her identity or a more precise location of where she was from. I don't know. It, supposedly the GEMTECH, it's G, the, it's a, I'm sure it's an acronym, but it's G-E-M and then the tech. And that's how they found the um, East Area Rapist. They used that GEMTECH DNA matching. But supposedly a lot of the DNA, like 23andMe and some of the other ones, have changed their, I guess, fine print is a good way to put it. And they're not logging your DNA into this GEMTECH database anymore. Or, or if they are, you have to actually say that you will allow them to upload the results into that database. There's two camps out there that believe that either, A, we will never know who she is, even though we have made great strides in DNA testing. And then they're saying now with the, the fine print changing that we will never know. So, And I apologize, he has 32 theories. Wow. Yes. All right. So theory one, go. So going back, <laughs> o- well, going back, <laughs> going back over our or the main theories that I touched on. One, she was she committed suicide. I don't believe that. Don't for, believe that for a second. So we can throw that one out. We kind of referenced the fact that why was there two water bottles up there? How did they get the accelerant? Mm-hmm. How was she not burnt severely all over? I just don't buy the suicide. And then also the fact that if you were going to take the sleeping pills, why would you ingest why would 30 you? and then 20 are found in your mouth, not yeah. chewed up, or why 12 laying around? Why bother setting yourself on fire? Yeah, if you're just going to go to sleep in the cold. Because yeah. you're going to die of hypothermia. You'll just be asleep. Yeah. I'm like, no. Yeah, I don't buy that one. I do like the spy connection, even though there are people out there that say that spies don't carry around seven or eight uh, passports. But... I don't think they've ever watched Jason Bourne. I mean, I think he had six or seven. Why would spies not have multiple passports? I think James Bond had more than two. I mean, that doesn't... We all know they're they're totally real. And please, spy people in the KGB and the Norwegian secret police don't come looking for the two dumbasses in the basement. <laughs> I enjoy our dumbassity. I think it ties into the... The penguin missile theory also, I think, you know, her being in those locations at the times that it was tested, uh, the fact that she was, there was a report filed before her body was found that she was talking to some naval officers dressed to the nines on the on the docks. I think that's, that ties deeply into her being a spy. I don't have the time, but I find it interesting on the, um, the two German connection theories of either she was a Nazi sympathizer trying to help the Soviet Union defeat the Americans or that she was a Jewish child that was just paranoid from the fact that she somehow got out of Nazi Germany. I do like those two theories. I don't, 
there's not a whole lot of information out there to make me say, yeah, I like that one better than the spy, though. What I do find extremely interesting, and there's not a lot of information out there about this man, is the Giovanni Trimbali theory. He is an odd bird. I mean, there's not... You just If you do an internet search for him, there's not a lot of stuff out there. I find it extremely interesting that she had a picture of his that was not published at the time. And it's not like she could have just snipped it off the internet. We're talking 1970. That internet didn't, you mm-hmm. know... Gore hadn't invented that internet back then. He was in its infancy. I don't put a whole lot of stock in that leprosy camp or the fact that she was faking her wealth. So those are the main theories out there, and I'm putting all my cards in the spy camp. What about you there, Slappy? This one was a spy. No way she wasn't, and she was murdered because she was found she was found out, and that's my opinion. And if you want, this is not the first time, well, it's... Yeah, oh, definitely not the first time a spy's been killed. Good well, job there, Slappy. Some great research, man. I really man, I will jump across this damn poker table and beat the Jesus out of you I don't if you know. don't that's shut a, up. That's a long leap. Anyway, so if you would like to look up a Netflix series called Unsolved Mysteries, season two, episode two called A Death in Oslo, it's also a Norwegian case of a so-called spy. And they have a lot of things in common, and that's why it leads me to believe that the Isdal woman was a spy because Jennifer Fairgate was a spy. If you haven't seen that episode, it's one of the better ones on the new Netflix series. But Jennifer Fairgate was the alias used by a woman who was found dead of a gunshot in a Norwegian luxury hotel in 1995. Her death was ruled a suicide, but due to recent developments, the question of whether she actually shot the gun has been re-examined. The woman was fluent in German and English. She checked into the Oslo Plaza Hotel in Oslo, Norway at 10.44 p.m. on May 31, 1995. She booked the room for three nights, paying 1,845 kroner for each night. She was given room 2805 and gave the following while checking in. Name Jennifer Fairgate, date of birth August 23, 1973. Address was Rue 0748 Rue de la Say 7963, Verlaine, Belgium. While that road was located in Verlaine, the address itself was not located. Jennifer also checked in with a Lois Fairgate in the room with her. The receptionist said he didn't see anyone with her while checking in, but another employee said they saw Jennifer with a man between 25 and 40 years old going into the room with her. This man's never been identified. Bizarrely, Jennifer was absent from her hotel room for the next two days based on data from the room's key cards, and no one remembers seeing her exit or enter the room except once. A member of the cleaning staff remembered entering her room and finding the room clean along with a pair of vivid high-heeled shoes that were never located and is believed that someone took them. During her stay, she attempted to contact two invalid numbers in Serene and Grace Holine, Belgium. And I'm sure I said that perfectly. Yes. The day before she died, a member of staff saw Jennifer enter the room and put the Do Not Disturb sign on the door handle. This sign remained on the door handle for the next day, and the staff became alarmed, especially when it realized she had never checked out of the hotel the prior day. 
Was there a stench coming from the room? When she, no, no. Since you haven't seen the episode, even though well, that was actually, your assignment. I did watch it. I just don't remember it. You didn't watch shit. I don't, did. I watched all I'm those the one with the bad memory. I'm the one with the bad memory, not you. <laughs> anyway. When security. Nice! <laughs> there goes their eardrums again. When security knocked on the door, they almost immediately heard a gunshot. Alarmed, they left the area and called the police. The room would remain unsupervised for 15 minutes, and Oslo police arrived 50 minutes after the gunshot was heard. When police entered the room, they found, quote-unquote, Jennifer lying on the bed covered in blood, dead of a gunshot wound to the middle of her forehead. She was holding a Browning 9mm pistol, commonly used by criminals, as well as the Norwegian Army, in what appeared to be a suicide. However, the gun was held upside down, and no blood or gunshot residue was on her hand. The door had been locked from the inside as well as if someone had locked it after exiting the room. The shot heard first was believed to have been a test shot into a pillow found near the body. Another key was found in the room believed to have been given to quote-unquote Lois, who appeared to have left the hotel for the rest of Jennifer's stay. An autopsy concluded that Jennifer was not 21 years old and between 25 and 35. She also had removed all the labels from her clothing. Sound familiar? I think we talked about something like that. A businessman who was referred to as Mr. F was in room 2804 right across from Jennifer's room. This man claimed to be from Belgium and checked in on June 2nd. Mr. F told authorities that he had been told that Jennifer had been found dead and was asked if he had seen anything suspicious. However, Mr. F checked out on June 3rd, and before she was found dead, the man has never been located. Was that her handler? Or is that the assassin? He told authorities that she'd been found dead, but yet he left before she was found dead. That's good. But anyway, if you have the time, which you probably all on lockdown still, get on Unsolved Netflix and watch that episode of Unsolved if you haven't seen it. It's crazy. And this is a hotbed for spy activity, man, especially during the Cold War. Well, it's uh, it's geographical location to the USSR. At the time, as high as tensions were in the 70s, I would say Norway was teeming with spies from both sides. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure everywhere was. Not everywhere. They're not going to have it in damn Kansas. <laughs> I bet I bet you money that there was spies in Kansas. Okay, okay. you heard it here first. We have uncovered a spy ring from the Cold War in Wichita Falls. Wichita Falls is not in Kansas. It's in Oklahoma. Oh, Jesus Christ. Here we go with your damn shit. All right. Recommendations. Actually, it's in Texas. Wichita Falls is in Texas. Recommendations. Wichita Falls. Okay. Wichita Falls is in Texas. My recommendation is actually an app. Oh, shit. Okay. It's actually a good app, too. Yeah. It's called a Crime Door. Tell them why it's a good app. Well, I was literally, like, if you just give me, like, another second. No, no, no. Second. Come on. Tell them why. Tell them why. Okay. Tell them about the screenshot you sent me. Oh, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. Okay. <laughs> it is an app <laughs> that has a plethora of information, my word. information about various true crime stories. Mama Coach is when not going to be happy. <laughs> when you click... 
on the map, you click a name, let's say Russell, Russell and Shirley Derman. Russell? Russell. It gives you the map location of the murder. It gives you directions to the scene. It gives you an overview of the case. It gives you a, a helpline to contact if you find, if you have any information. And then it gives you video content, uh, news articles, various things, uh, and news stories, rather. And then underneath that, you get newspaper articles. Beneath that, you get twenty. You get photos. Photos? Maybe not. You have to pay for the gruesome ones. Oh. I'll be honest with you. If you want crime scene photos and actual death, you got to pay a little premium for it. But... Keep scrolling down, and you get podcasts on the, on, topic, on you're the topic you're looking at. So, yeah, I'm looking at eight different podcasts on uh, Russell and Shirley Derman, and one of which happens to be Mysterious Bruce. <gasps> get out there. So, damn. it's even got us on there. It didn't have us for um, Blair Adams. I'm disappointed. I'll go back and put it, a uh, hashtag in there and see it, if we pop up. It didn't, didn't give us... Uh, didn't give us a shout out on that, but then the very bottom is similar cases, so you can get yourself lost in an extremely deep, deep rabbit hole with this app. They, uh, I didn't know about this app until they followed us on Twitter, and I was like, "Crime Door." I was like, "What's that? What's Crime Door?" And I looked it up, and I was so impressed. I sent them a message, be like, "Man, I'm gonna give you guys a shout out because this app wasted several hours of my day the other day." <laughs> That's my recommendation, is cr the app Crime Door. Well, I'm going to... Like the word crime. With and the, word the word door. Put together. Put together. D-O-O-R. Crime as in K-R-I-M-E. Crime Door. <laughs> I'm going to recommend the Stephanie Harlow video on YouTube. And she did an hour and 30 minute episode on the Isdal Woman. And she did a great job on her research and she does a phenomenal job so if you've never heard of stephanie harlow follow her on youtube and check out her episode on the isdal woman you got anything else there slap nut uh just please for the christmas season i know it's probably you'll probably hear this after christmas but please get one person that hasn't listened to our podcast to listen please we really would like to see ourselves grow even larger this coming year, and we hope that we pray that 2021 is definitely better than 2020. For me, I don't think it's possible that it won't be better. 2020 was terrible for me. Well, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, deuces.